The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about love, and it's about making marriage really work for you. And we have this wonderful book that I've just finished reading. It's called Making Marriage Simple, 10 Truths for Changing the Relationship You Have into the to the Relationship, the One You Want. I'll say that again, 10 Truths for Changing the Relationship You Have into the one you want. And this is by Harville Hendricks, PhD, and his wife, Helen LaKelly Hunt, PhD. And they have been writing books together for many years. And you may have heard of Harville Hendricks. You may have seen him on Oprah. The book that I just love that first came out in the late 80s called Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples by Harville Hendricks, and it is just a a fabulous book as well. So he's one of my heroes for loving relationships. So let me tell you a little bit about him and his wife. Harville and Helen are partners in life and in work, and they are the creators of Imago Relationship Therapy. They have authored and co-authored 10 books on intimate relationships, including three New York Times bestsellers. Their their newest book called Making Marriage Simple is fabulous. It's fun. It's easy to read. And it's great for people who are newly married or been married for many, many years. They are co-founders of Imago Relationships International, which supports more than 2,000 Imago therapists around the world. Helen has supported the creation and spread of Imago therapy around the world and worked on behalf of women and girls, for which she was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame. Harville is a couples therapist with more than 40 years of experience as an educator, a clinical trainer, and lecturer whose work has been featured on Oprah 18 times. He and Helen have been married for over 30 years. They have six children and six grandchildren, and they're just wonderful. So we're just thrilled to have Harville with us today. Harville, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, and I regret that Helen, who was hoping to be with us, can't be. Um, But... um I'm all you've got, so I'll do my best. Oh, we're so glad. So what is your vision? The two of you have a wonderful vision. Tell us about that vision. Well, we our vision has shifted um, toward uh, the taking the 
uh, change process that we developed for couples in couples therapy, uh, in which we uh, now know is what helps them uh, create the what we call a conscious partnership or the marriage of their dreams, that there's a process that makes that happen for couples in therapy that can be extracted from therapy and converted into an educational process and then distributed to uh, anyone, anywhere. We call it uh, for uh, into other ecosystems like classrooms and the workspace, uh, congregations, and also into families. And so our vision right now is, and we call it Safe Conversations, um, kind of rebranding Imago Dialogue as the therapy intervention into Safe Conversations as a way of talking, helping people learn to talk without polarizing and helping them listen without judging and helping them connect beyond their differences. And we find that need is present in all human beings in all situations. So our current vision is to find a way, uh, and we're working on that now in Dallas, which I can say more about, just to find a way to distribute safe conversations as a new way of talking to uh, to the culture. Oh, we love it. I love it. You know, I've been an, uh, an attorney mediator for over 30 years now. And that's exactly what we do in mediation. We, we have to have a safe conversation. We have to deflect the conflict. We have to really teach people how to listen. And, and our, your imago, which is very much like what we have to do in, in mediation, we have to mirror what our, our clients are saying. We have to mirror what the disputants are saying. Of course, reframe it so it's <laughs> take a little bit of the uh, the edge off of it. But, um, but basically to do that. So it's so wonderful because we're trying to bring some peacekeeping and peace healing to, to the world, right? Yes, exactly that. In fact, as we push, push our vision, we, um, we think that if we look at um, Western civilization in particularly, but we can look at the whole world also, but Western civilization has been pretty much a competitive civilization where competition, domination, and control has been what you do everywhere, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're in business, whether you're in your marriage. Um, And we were trying to move toward changing uh, the focus on the self and on the self being the center, the self being winning, to a relational world and talking about the emergence of a relational civilization where equality is universal and equality all the way up and all the way down of opportunity and of potential and so forth. And we are betting the ranch on that if we can help people change the structure of the way they talk, that they will change the quality of their interactions and that will lead them to uh, evolve their potential in a way they couldn't do that if they were simply in a competitive mode. So we help people move to collaboration uh, then to cooperation and then to co-creation. Mm. And we find when we do that with couples, they have a much better marriage because the marriage becomes sort of their property instead of uh, them competing about who's going who's gonna to get what in the marriage. They discover the marriage is their, is their baby. It's like a baby. It's their garden. They need to take care of it. So they have to collaborate on what makes it healthy. They have to cooperate on doing what makes it healthy and co-create or whatever they have to do to sustain that health. 
So, and we think that the way they talk with each other will determine and does determine the quality of the relationship. And if they change the way they talk, they will change the quality of their relationship. Exactly. And, you know, it just hits home to me so so deeply because when I'm in mediation with couples or I'm in mediation with people who are in a dispute, whether it be a business or a partnership, the way they talk to each other, they don't even recognize how they're talking to each other. You know, they're, they're using blame words instead of speaking from what they're feeling inside. So um, I love it. I love that you have this vision and that's what we try to do all the time in mediation because you, if you, if you go from competition to collaboration, then you can co-create an agreement, you know? (laughs) So, so it's the same kind of thing and it, it really relates and I can just see it with couples that um, they they really don't know. I mean, when you think about it, Harville, who really teaches us how to listen and to um, mirror back and to reframe and to really go deep? We, we don't learn that from our parents, most of us, you know, and we don't learn it in school. So we, we no, do need no, it. Yeah. That's really true. What I just thought while you were saying that is, uh, yeah, uh, our parents tell us to listen to them. Right. <laughs> We're talking, um, and the teachers often say, you know, you know, shut up and listen. Uh, get get listen to me. But but there's no um, there's no training in how to have a conversation where listening is um, is uh, so deep that you actually are changed by what you hear. And usually we listen, but we deflect it or reject it. Um, uh, or sometimes we can even you can reflect it back, but not let it impact us. But listening is allowing what you are hearing to impact your insides, so that you're always changed by what you listen to, and therefore that changes what you say. And so the change is a constant process. If you're letting it impact you, if you're not, then you remain the same. But nobody in our culture, and in fact, is not even a value in the culture. Helen would say this if she was here today, would say, uh, <clears throat> nobody pays us to listen, but people will pay you to talk. <laughs> and, well, that's right. <laughs> that's, and so that's what we do. We talk, but, but nobody listens. I think if we got paid, she said one time, if we got paid for listening, as much as you get paid for talking, perhaps that would um, shift the uh, thing. And by the way, her father uh, ha- has a sign in his uh, in the uh, office of his uh, of his uh, building of the suite where his offices are. Said, um, uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth, <laughs> and how they should be related to each other is obvious. Exactly. <laughs> well, I have you to say. Yeah. Well, attorneys are paid to talk, right? Um, but well, but uh, but mediators actually are paid to listen. <laughs> they yeah. they are paid to listen. And um, so we, we have to listen a lot more than we talk when we're in mediation. You know, we have to hear what they're saying and um, and try and deflect the conflict to get down to the meat of what they're really, really needing, their basic interests. So, yeah, it really relates to, to what we do. Now, you you have a specific project that you're working on, or is that just kind of percolating at this point? Oh, yeah, we have a project. We've been on site in Dallas for about three years now with a uh, project that 
Um, we've seen Dallas as the launching pad, a citywide project here as a launching pad for national and global movement. We're, we're calling it a relationship revolution or movement toward a relational culture. And what we're doing here is uh, we started off where where our uh, credentials are and where our skills are with um, with couples and families. And we've done uh, probably um, about 5,000 families in Dallas have walked them through a four to six hour workshop called Safe Conversations, which we taught them just what I said earlier, to learn how to talk without polarizing and listen without judging and connect beyond their differences. Um, and we have um, also uh, in last February, and we're going to repeat it this coming February, um, in addition to being, I, th I think we've probably done 20 or 30 workshops over the past three years, but we've done a big workshop that we sent out on social media, uh, which got um, a worldwide distribution. 38 countries uh, clicked mm -hmm. onto the link, but about 40,000 people on YouTube, about 15,000 on Facebook. And our media footprint, uh, Associated Press picked picked it up, and it got then picked up by a lot of people. And our media footprint was about 20 million people. Mm. So and now we're moving into schools uh, and bringing safe conversation into the classroom. Uh, we're also being asked to take it into the workplace, and we're, uh, people are showing up from various congregations. We have Muslim, uh, uh, Hindu, um, Jewish, and um, Christian congregations that are showing up wanting to take safe conversation into their uh, ecosystems. And the way we are have possible to do all that, we can't possibly do all that, is we are now in a training mode, which if you're interested in bringing safe conversations as a process into your family or into your school or congregation or workplace, uh, we will train you how to do it and then train you to train other people to do it so that it can begin to be distributed one person to another person or one person to a group. So that's what we have about 170 people now who have taken us up on the training uh, offer, and they are now distributing it to 170 different locations. Mm, that's just wonderful. You know, I when I think of you guys starting in Texas, um, Texas is a huge state for mediation. There, California and Texas have been the leaders in mediation as well, and teaching peer mediation in the oh. school. I don't know if you know that, uh -huh. but mediation, when you're I learning mediation skills, it's very much what you're talking about. I mean, we learn to um, deflect the conflict, to you know, really eradicate the blame, uh, keep, you know, to help people to communicate in a different way. So, if someone in my mediation says something in a way that that's very offensive to the other one, I'll say, okay, so I think this is what you're trying to say. Now, why don't you say it a little differently, and then I'll show them. How about if you say it this way, and then they'll say it that way, and then I'll yeah. ask the other party, how did you feel about? About the difference between what was said with that blaming and what was said from, you know, how he's feeling or how she's feeling. And it's amazing, yeah. you know, to teach, it, you know, it isn't like what you say in your book. It isn't what you say. It's pretty much how you say it. And uh, exactly. so, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I don't know if you realize that mediation training is very much like what you're training because. I did not know that. Yeah. That's delightful. 
Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to talk more about that because that's exactly, I'm sure our trainings are very, very similar. When I when I learned your Imago training, it was so much like what I learned many years ago in mediation, you know, about the reflection and, and you know, reflecting back and mirroring back and not judging and not trying to answer or trying to fix just to hear. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, absolutely. So that means that safe conversation in that form of mediation is being all distributed in very difficult areas uh, already yes. by the legal profession. Yes, in That's the legal profession. Yeah, and it's very big. In, in fact, I belong to the Association of Attorney Mediators, which is in Texas. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, yeah. It's a, Great minds went along the same path, right? It's Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I, I noticed in your book that you look at conflict as an opportunity. So um, I had to laugh because um, when we wrote our book, Fighting for Love, Turn Conflict into Intimacy, we really want to call, we really, our first title was um, The Gift of Conflict. <laughs> Oh, really? Yep. And we talk about it. That's one of our chapters, the gift of conflict. So you look at it that way, too. It's an opportunity. You want to talk a little bit about how you see that? Well, yes. We, uh, one of our sort of stock phrases now is called conflict is growth trying to happen. Yep. Um, But because we don't know that it's growth trying to happen, we turn it into polarization. And polarization, of course, stops growth because in polarization, you just protect yourself and you defend yourself. Whereas in, uh, when you um, think about conflict is the interaction between uh, people with different points of view that um, both of those points of view are valid. And if you just simply stay with the world is the way I see it and the way the other person sees it is delusional, then there's no possibility of ever growing. But if you could say that the other person's point of view also makes sense, and I can't see the sense it makes right now, but it makes sense to that person, so therefore it must contain something of truth. And I contain something of truth. Neither one of us have the whole truth. But if I will allow what the other person um, sees and believes into my space, without judging it, then I can perhaps have my own interior space expanded. And we call that in psychology differentiation. Mm -hmm. That is, I get it, you and I are not the same, Uh, we are different, but our differences are not oppositional. They are, in some sense, um, what what is the other word? Parallel. They're not oppositional. Kind of parallel. parallel or parallel or complementary. Right. Um, when they're complementary, that means they're an aspect of the whole, and we only get to the whole through integrating uh, aspects that we have not entertained before. So I think that's uh, the the major thing is that conflict offers you this opportunity to expand your own belief system, to expand your own consciousness to expand your heart so that you become empathic about other people's points of view, and in fact, humanizes you. Because exactly. I think our, our being shut down to other people is probably a childhood injury where something happened in childhood where uh, letting other people influence us or seeing other people's point of view as valid as ours was threatening mm-hmm. because somehow we got shut down and went into a fear mode. 
And that can become chronic and, and curatological. But when you become aware that um, other people also have valid points of view. In fact, I learned this myself uh, years and years ago when I was doing my um, first, actually doing my first internship in a mental hospital. I was uh, put in a mental hospital uh, and in a schizophrenic ward and, and with no training. They just said, go in there and relate to these people and we'll see how well you do it, whether or not you are you're becoming a mental health professional. Oh, my so gosh. I went in this <laughs> right into the fire. And, uh, <laughs> right into the fire. And, and this room was full of really, um, uh, really a low, what they would call low-order schizophrenics, i.e. they were naked, lying on the floor, mm. uh, in their own excrement and all this. It was one of those... This was like 40 years ago with those um, mental health wards, yeah. state mental health wards right. that were terrible. Hmm. So I looked around and said, I don't see how I can relate to anybody here because nobody's, you know, relating to anybody. But there was a guy standing at a window with his clothes on. And so I said, well, I, I'm going to start over there. <laughs> and I went over and stood beside him. And I was uh, at the time also a young theologian. I was uh, in, uh, in learning uh, pastoral care and counseling. I stood beside him and I said, um, hello, uh, my name is Chaplain Hendricks. And he stood quiet and steady for, uh, you know, about a full minute. And then uh, he was taller than me. So he sort of looked down at me. He had a big beard. And he said, I am Jesus Christ. <laughs> so uh, my first thought was, you know, I am well educated in the Bible. And I'm quite sure this is not Jesus. <laughs> Um, I didn't know anything about schizophrenia. I hadn't been in a class on, on oh, psychopathology. No. <laughs> so I said, well, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> so then he, he engaged me in how he was Jesus. And I went in every week, every day for about two weeks. And we had this argument about whether or not he was Jesus. And he was totally dissociated during those times. And with one of those arguments, something clicked in my mind, and I saw the logic of his point of view. Mm. And I him, again, without any training and mirroring or reflection, I mean, it's way before that, I said to him, let me see, I get it. If X, if you believe X, then it makes sense that you would think you were Jesus if this happened. And I didn't see that. I said, you know, that makes sense. I get that. I get how you're thinking that way. And... Um, so he looked at me with a big stare, and I saw something happen on his face. And then he said, actually, my name is, no, no, no he didn't say actually. And something happened on his face, and he said, hello, my name is John. Aww. And I said, what happened to Jesus? And he said, well, when I'm seen for who I am, I don't have to be who I'm not. Aww. How so my mirroring him, yeah. my mirroring him, integrated his disassociation for a moment back into his identity, mm. and then he and I had great conversations after that for as long as I was on the ward. But every time the psychiatrist would come up, they would yell out, "Hey, John, time for your Thorazol, Thorazin, or whatever it was he was yeah. taking." <laughs> he would all disassociate and go back into being Jesus, and mm. uh, you know, was very, very uh, Jesus oriented. And it was interesting, if I stayed on the ward after the psychiatrist left, he would come back over and reassociate to himself. And I thought for a while he was just faking it, but I talked to a psychiatrist and all, he says, nope, he's totally disassociated. When you're in the room, he, he, uh, he becomes compensated. Mm. And I thought, gosh, I didn't know at the time that I had just discovered that <laughs> schizophrenia is a, relational, is a relational disorder. 
Interesting. And now we are beginning to think about that as, in fact, a way to redefine that whole syndrome. Right. It's, it, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, it reminds me of like when I see people in mediation and they're very, very angry, you know, and they're telling me maybe I'm in caucus yeah. with them and they're telling me about that other person. And then I, you know, I kind of say, this is what I hear you saying. And you must feel, I guess you're feeling pretty upset, really angry with this person. And I get that. And then all of a sudden they saw Often. They soften and I go, yeah. you know, I can't change anything about that. But now what do you what do you propose? What do we do about that? And then I get them out of their, you know, limbic system, <laughs> their amygdala brain, and it brings them up to the frontal cortex and all of a sudden because I've heard them, I've, I've, you know, and they know that I understand it. Now I can bring them back to like this more logical perspective. It's just, yeah. And I can see the whole change on their face. Like what you were talking about with John, it just, it just, the brain actually has a change in it, doesn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. I have to laugh Absolutely. when you say that, um, you know, conflicts and opportunity. That I don't know, you probably know this, but the Chinese word for conflict is made up of two symbols. One is danger, the other is opportunity. It's our choice yes. of how we're going to approach it. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. That's beautiful. Now, for, for people who are uh, struggling with conflict with their spouse or with their kids, we hear all that. Um, what what specific advice would you give them if they're listening and driving by right now? What what kind of a st- an approach would you use? Well, I think there are um, two or three sort of easy to learn core things that uh, help people connect when they want to talk, and one of them is that if you want to say something to your spouse or to a child, to do what we call the appointment process, and the appointment process is. So, Peter, is now a good time to talk? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you available now to talk about your grades or your uh, what we're going to have for dinner or are we going to talk about making love or whatever? Is now a good time? What that does is honor, it honors boundaries, mm-hmm. and it helps the person whom you want to talk to have a chance to um, either say no because they want to continue to run the movie they're looking at in their own heads uh, or they can say, yes, just a minute, let me turn off my movie, and then I'll be available for you. But if you just walk up to somebody and start talking, blah, 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 you actually are violating their boundaries. It triggers a defense, mm-hmm. and then you don't have full attention. So the first thing is to uh, ask uh, essentially for permission to talk and tell them what you talk about. That, we find, regulates their anxiety and also opens people up to be available to what you want to say. And then um, it's also important that if people are talking to you, that you do something that we call mirroring, which is, well, let me see if I got that. Uh, you said that uh, you want turkey for dinner and we go, or you don't want to do turkey, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go out this Thanksgiving. Am I getting, am I getting that? Then you do a checkout. Mirror and then check to see if you got it right. And the checkout is so important because people who do research, I'm so impressed and and happy about people who do all kinds of research, but people do research on uh, the percentage of accuracy in listening. And the people who do that say that normal human beings have a 17% accuracy rate and an 83% distortion rate in what they listen. <laughs> right. And that's what they're not upset. 
But if they're upset, they have a 100% distortion rate. <laughs> right. So it's really important to say, did I get it? And and, uh, and most of us don't, we don't say that. We just assume if we did mirror them back, that we got it. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they they then, uh, then we'll, then we'll say something else or we'll engage in a behavior assuming that we got it. But then to that person whom we didn't get, what we do uh, can be offensive or puzzling or whatever. So you need to check it out. And the third thing we ask people to start practicing is if somebody says, yeah, that's, that's what I said, is to say, instead of saying, well, thank you for sharing that, or um, well, I want to talk about me now, or, or just changing the subject, that you say, is there more about that? Mm-hmm. And you do that with curiosity. Is there more about that? Because that then, that's the, Helen and I call it the ultimate magic question. <laughs> is there more about that? There's no content in it. It just says, I'm hearing you. I'm interested. I'm open for more from you. That's perfect. And talking about reducing anxiety, if you put a GSR on a person's wrist and ask them, is there more? you'd find that the anxiety level, the the tension level, the meter would go down. Yeah, that is a perfect way to end because believe it or not, Harville, we are out of time. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I know we could talk forever. I love you. So I just want to make sure that people people to know about your wonderful new book, Making Marriage Simple, 10 Truths for Changing the Relationship You Have into the One You Want. And do you want to give your website? And then we got to go. Harville and Helen.com uh, is the website, and if people are interested in an Imago therapist or training, go to imagorelationships.org. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. You're wonderful, and we will have you back again. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.